Ready? Hey, love bugs, and welcome back to another episode of Socially Samara, the podcast. This time we are recording so you can see some visuals. And I have my lovely mother here with me, and I'll let her kind of introduce herself, and we'll go from there. I'm Samet George, and I'm Samara's mom. That's all you want to say? I don't know. Should I say more? You could tell a little about yourself if you want. Okay, my name is Sam. I'm 64 years old. I'm recently retired from being a cosmetology educator for the last four decades. And uh, just recently, I've been through some struggles and challenges that have given me a lot of insight on direction and how to get there the quickest. Okay, cool. So if you guys are not following me on social media, um, you might not understand the struggle she's talking about. So my mom and dad each had cancer within the past three years. About two and a half. Two and a half, three years. My dad had prostate cancer and he beat it. We turned around a couple months later and found out my mom had cancer, um, lung cancer and brain cancer. She beat that. So I'm just giving her kind of a platform, I guess, to speak on her journey and her diagnosis and then like the things that she has in store coming post being cancer is free cancer free yes <laughs> okay well just as quickly as I can uh, probably about less than a year ago I went to Florida with my daughters and we had a nice trip and when I came back I was doing a lot of coughing and I just assumed I had picked up COVID. So I go to the hospital, they do lots of tests. They tell me I don't have COVID, but I do have pneumonia. So for about four weeks, they treated me for pneumonia. And after four weeks, when I couldn't get rid of the cough, I called my primary physician and uh, he told me he was gonna pull the records and see if he can find out what's going on. And he called me back a few hours later and told me that he did look at the records and I may have had pneumonia, but that I definitely had a mass on my lung and that, um, I need to go to a lung specialist right away. So he made some arrangements. I spoke to a lung specialist who told me that basically they would have to do a, a light surgery, a biopsy, and get a sample of the mass that was shown on the x-ray to know exactly what it was and preferably to rule out cancer. So he set up the biopsy. Uh, we did the biopsy. He called me in a few days after and told me that the results were back, that I had third stage lung cancer that was spreading very quickly. And I asked him how he knew it was even spreading, and he said he looked at the x-ray from the pneumonia, which was about four weeks before, and that the mass had almost doubled in size since then, so they knew it was moving. So he suggested that um, it come off and said that it was too large to surgically remove at that time, so they would have to shrink it. So he was going to send me out for lots of tests to see whether our best option was chemotherapy or whether we should go with radiation. So I spent a good uh, week doing a lot of testing, and at the end of the week, the doctor called me back and said the last of the test results were in that I did not have third stage lung cancer, but that I had fourth stage lung cancer, and it already went to my brain. Uh, prior to that, just so you know, when I first got the information that I had third stage brain cancer, I uh, called my family and I called my pastor, and he suggested right away that we start fasting and praying, which we did. And uh, we fasted for a week. We started with uh, just a half an hour of prayer in the morning and then juice all day and then a half an hour of prayer in the evening and then fruit all evening. And we did that from Monday to Sunday night. And when I woke up 
Monday morning, uh, it was obvious I had been crying. My pillow was wet. My eyes were kind of pasty. And when I started trying to figure out why I was crying, I remembered that I had a dream. And the more I started thinking about this dream, I realized, wait a second, I had a dream that God spoke to me. But then when I really started putting the pieces together, it was obvious to me that it was not a dream, that God actually spoke to me in my dream, that he said, spoke as clearly as we're speaking now, and said, Sam, this is not about you, it's all about me. There are too many people who still do not believe I'm on the throne and in the miracle-making business, so I need to use you to let my light shine through to be a beacon to draw others to my kingdom. To be a vessel. Yes. Isn't that what it's a vessel? Yes, 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 a vessel, yes. So um, I knew from the beginning I thought for a minute I was crazy, but it just didn't sound crazy. It didn't feel crazy. It felt for real. And um, so I started telling people, and I, I was afraid that people would think I was crazy when I said, you know, God spoke to me, for real spoke to me. Um, but for some reason, everybody I told just kind of embraced my story and and just kind of started supporting me. So I found that I had brain cancer. And uh, they told me I needed emergency brain surgery that um, basically you only can live with brain cancer for like six weeks to six months. And that um, the spot where the mass was on my brain, they didn't understand why I wasn't having problems with my vision, but literally I could wake up blind the next day and that it had to come off right away. So I visited a brain specialist and uh, he looked at me and he said he had already looked at my test results and got calls from my doctor and that it definitely needed to come off and he was very puzzled too because he said um he was it's, i'm the first person he ever operated on that didn't have any headaches any seizures dizzy spells stumbling dizziness you were um, going about your days as if nothing yeah, was wrong as if nothing had gone by I, I didn't have any kind of symptoms and the other crazy thing with um my mom going into the hospital for the emergency brain surgery my sister had a baby the day before in the same hospital exactly exactly which kind of was a little scary in our culture sometimes we have a saying that when god takes one he gives one mm -hmm. and so because it was so close i was just hoping that was not <laughs> they weren't taking be. you to give us a baby because for all that they no, can keep that no, baby no no so um i went to the brain surgeon and he started taking tests he told me that the tests that they had taken were all for my lung but now that we found this brain problem he had to take his own test uh, but he was going to schedule me for surgery on wednesday this would have been on a monday when we spoke so i ran around all day taking the test that he wanted me to take and then tuesday night before the wednesday morning surgery he called me to ask me if i was ready for surgery and i told him yep i'm all prayed up and i'm believing and standing on the promises of jesus christ and he said okay that's wonderful but my test results came back and it's going to your spine so now we're dealing with lung brain and spine and he told me he took the liberty of um reserving the operating room for the following week and we were going to come right back in there he explained that through the brain surgery afterwards i'd have to be in the hospital for probably about a week or two and then i'd go to rehab for another two weeks that it's very common that when they operate on your brain uh that your words may be slurred and your motor skills may be a little off there was nothing wrong with my mother she came out of brain surgery as if she went in for a regular physical checkup and was talking was moving she was she was a little groggy it was scary because, um, like I said, we were already in the hospital for my sister, literally a floor above, I think, on the same side of the yes, hospital and everything. Yes. So we were, my dad and I were bouncing between rooms, checking on Ani and making sure her husband and stuff, they were all okay, running downstairs with my mom. So during all of that, I, I remember going to the hospital and 
I didn't really show my parents that I was upset or scared. I kind of kept it to myself because I knew they were already dealing with so much and I didn't want them to think, oh, this is something else we have to worry about. Our daughter scared that she may be losing us or whatever the case may be. So I kept a lot of my emotions to myself. But I remember walking into the, was it ICU? ICU? Mm -hmm. The ICU recovery area. And my mom just had bandages all over her head, like like a mummy. They wrapped her head like a mummy. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh. like And she, <laughs> when we walked in, she was also like half sleep. So I'm thinking she's still like under anesthesia or whatever the case may be and as soon as she started hearing us my dad let her know like hey your daughter's here she perked right up and was like hey you guys and was talking and it was like are you supposed to be talking yeah. already yeah. and it was the real brain surgery where they literally took a saw well first they took a scalpel and they cut your yeah. scalp and they peel your okay wig down a little bit and uh, then they take a saw and literally saw off your skull and lay it to the side and operate on your brain and then put your skull back on and bring it's like the Grey's skin Anatomy back in. in real life <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they told me i'd have to you know go through the rehab and i'd be in the hospital for a while but unbelievably um the morning the next morning when they came in i was doing great and they didn't understand why my words weren't slurred or in fact when they came in i was in the bathroom and they started right away saying miss george where are you where are you and i said i'm in the bathroom they were like what are you doing in the bathroom and i was like number one <laughs> and so then i, I had came to go. out and they yeah and they didn't understand how, how i even walked there so they called a doctor in and some physical therapists who looked at me and weren't sure what was going on and just said they wanted to monitor me for uh, a little longer just to check on things and uh, the next morning i woke up and I was not in any pain. I wasn't uh, going through anything. There were no slurred words or any stumbling. They walked me around the hospital and up steps, down steps to make sure I was good and came in and said they don't understand it, but I could go home. That it was almost like nothing had happened to me, that they, they canceled the physical therapy and I asked why you were canceling it and they said, well, you don't need it. <laughs> no, they said you've met the expectations already. So I was going to circle back around to um, when daddy had cancer and you guys jumped into the whole healthy eating yes growing your own fruits and veggies sprouting. and sprouting and beans sprout, all of the all of the things that basically eastern medicine doesn't want us to do because they want us to be dependent upon big pharma and different drugs and things like that but my mom and dad literally did a uh 180 with how they were eating they were growing all their natural foods and eating very clean and healthy and i i could even see a difference in how they were just getting from point A to point B, just moving and grooving. It, it was a little different. So um, if you can, just a little bit, do you want to speak on how that adjustment um, kind of helped in your cancer from daddy first having it? Right. We had already been, uh, we'd already pretty much switched to a raw diet, which meant we weren't eating anything that was in a can or anything, <coughs> or anything that was frozen. So we did a lot of vegetables, a lot of salads. And when we did cook our food, um, our vegetables uh, we just kind of steamed them lightly we didn't want to cook all the nutrients off we gave up salt <clears throat> gave up sugar gave up caffeine mm -hmm. um, i don't know if you heard of dr cb before mm -hmm. um, but i had found a, a book on dr cb and he had uh, put a diet together that he believed cured cancer and so i kind of followed his diet and i googled a few other things and um, i think that had a lot to do with me even feeling better through this whole thing that there were no symptoms through any of this i was drinking Ooh, i went and started drinking alkaline water mm -hmm. um i was drinking about 100 ounces of it a day and i, I pretty much was feeling good and i go in the hospital the next week for the spine surgery where they uh, literally have to cut my throat 
to get to my spine. And they told me I wouldn't be able to speak for a week and would have to drink out of a straw for about two weeks. And pretty much like the first surgery, I went in that day. And the next morning when I woke up. Um, Mind you, these surgeries she's speaking on were literally back to back. I think within like a week of, of yeah, each other. You did brain surgery and then had to do your spinal the throat following. surgery. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know whether I could speak or not. No one was there for me to talk to. So I said a prayer, and it came out crystal clear. So the next thing I know, they brought my food in, and I went to take the dome off, and I just assumed it was going to be applesauce or a bunch of mush. And it was uh, bacon, eggs, and French toast. And I was so hungry. Of course, I called the nurse the call button to get the nurse to come and change my food because I was supposed to only be on liquids. Um, But I was so hungry, I decided, let me just take a little ball of this French toast and suck on it and see if it goes down. It went down. I did two balls. It went down. Three balls. It went down. And then I just ended up cutting up the whole plate and eating it. And when they came in, they could not believe that um, I was able to swallow. They weren't couldn't believe I could talk. They couldn't believe that I didn't have a sore throat after having my throat cut. And they pretty much examined me. They sent a physical therapist in, sent a doctor in. He said, I don't understand you, but you can go home. And just like the first surgery, I left out the hospital went to the grocery store to fill my prescription. While they were filling it, I did some grocery shopping, and I came home and cooked dinner. That was both after the brain surgery and after the spine surgery. So basically, my mom is, uh, what can I say? She is one of God's favorites. I think that's how we like to say it nowadays. But even just talking to my mom more and more over these past couple years about the surgeries, my dad, and just wanting to know our family history when it came to like medical things, because at a certain age, like I'm 31 now, I I want to ask questions like, what medical conditions should I be looking for? What do I need to tell my doctor? Because I'm at the age also where doctors are like, what runs in your family? I'm like, I don't know. Like I yeah. lost my grandpa before I was here, so I don't yeah. know what he had. My other grandpa, I don't know him. So it's yeah. like, at this age, I am asking more questions now. My mom, um, a couple weeks ago, explained to me how when she was younger, she got really, 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 really sick to the point where she had to be hospitalized and through the whole hospital, like back in the, what was that, 50s, 60s? The 60s. In like the 60s, of course, like her mom and dad were working, so they could not be at the hospital full time. So there was like a nurse or someone that was assigned to you, but she was quote unquote a mean nurse. But also there was another nurse that was super kind and sweet and just like there for a child who's in a hospital to keep him company. Mm-hmm. Long story short, my mom is um, discharged from the hospital and my grand- my nana basically is like very big, well she was very big into giving thank you cards, giving appreciation when someone did something for you. Yes. So she was basically like, basically like, hey Sam, let's take a thank you note to the hospital. So they go to the hospital and ask the nurses at the station from, the, from what I remember my mom telling me and they asked for the nurse and my mom was quick to say, no, not the mean nurse, not so-and-so who was with me, the nice one, we wanna find her. And all the nurses at the charging station were basically like, well, we don't have a nurse here by that name. There was only one nurse with you the whole time from our record unless someone snuck in. And basically my mom was like, no, like she made sure I could watch TV. She gave me X, Y, and Z. When I woke up, she was literally right there. The other nurse was so mean and wasn't trying to be nice. And come to find out, my mom believes that she had a guardian angel with her the whole time because there's no record of a nurse being around. But my mom felt comfort. She felt ease. She didn't be, she wasn't scared when she was there not think. If you're a kid in a hospital, a lot of people are scared. Even adults yeah. are scared in and hospitals. I, and just so you know, I was quarantined. Quarantined. Because uh, I had a cut on my knee and gangrene had set in. So I couldn't even see my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally just had these two nurses, one who monitored me all day and night, and the mean nurse. Oh, welcome in my dad. Good evening, good evening. He also had cancer. We're actually on camera, so you have to come back this way. Oh. 
I'll let my dad introduce himself. You have to get in the camera. You might have to squat down some. Oh, ready. So my parents helped me buy this equipment, so that's why I'm giving them a little platform to talk. I'm just really surprised how much she listens to me. She told my story that I told her almost to the I tea. listened very well. Yeah, sometimes she's, like she's always multitasking. What are all those cue cards on the floor for? <laughs> <laughs> there are no cue cards. Um, but we're talking about uh, basically, so I, I do two types of audio things. I do my own self journals where I like basically read out my journals and stuff like that and then I'll do interviews with people so one of my journal entries I'll be doing after this is called cancer in the family so I'm just basically talking about you and mommy's um cancer diagnosis I was going to actually have you on on your own just to talk about your stuff separately but since you're here you can introduce yourself and we'll bring you on another time my name's Curtis M. George Curtis with a C of course why do I get cheated and I don't get my own because you were ripping and running willing and dealing so you missed it gotta pay the bills uh, first, I would like to thank you, and um, i love to get into that, but let it be about Miss George today. I just want to let you know that God is good. He is all the time. He always shows up and shows out, and truly, we know that we're highly favored, and I'm just happy to be here and thanking God each and every day. Okay. All right. All right. If you don't want to be on camera and tell your whole story. We know you're the limelight of the <laughs> <laughs> So that was one, um, thanks dad. That was one instance of my mom being hashtag God's favorite. The second time was with me. I should have died in my mom's stomach. But God no, they said. they told me you died, not you oh, should have. Yeah, they told, basically, basically my mom, when, I'm going to tell another story because I listen very well, especially when it comes to stories about me. So my mom got pregnant. She went to the doctors. They did an ultrasound or something and basically were like, there was no heartbeat. So they had to. I had, they told me I had what's called a blightened ovum. A blightened ovum. That's when the egg is fertilized, but, but it's somewhere in the journey it just gave up. Is that when up. it gets stuck in the tuber? That's something else. It didn't get stuck. It just gave up. Oh, okay. Either And sometimes it happens when a baby's going to be sick. Mm hmm um mentally challenged or which i'm far from i'm <laughs> whatever. not that. but it just you just didn't they said the baby just didn't have enough strength to just make the journey through the fallopian tube and just but expired. god said psych let me show you so basically they they um what is it called a dnc they told me that it's not healthy to walk around with that material from a embryo in you that i needed to so a dnc i guess is somewhat what we like to call smushmortion um so i think it's kind of along that that comparison i think what's a smish an abortion i just don't say it. it's oh, a okay. smush okay yes they just go in and clean it clean out. it out yeah mm -hmm. so they set that appointment for me to be excavated mm -hmm. from my mom and she basically went in to church the following day or whatever and let the church family know um what was going on and our mm -hmm. church is definitely a family church our nana went to the church her people went to the, it's a family church and the reason i let them know what had happened is because four weeks prior i got up and testified that oh we're pregnant okay. we're pregnant so Thank you're giving God. an update so i was giving them the update i didn't want them to continue after they were so happy that we were finally pregnant gotcha so because remember i was like 34 yes so I was my mom had us at a very um at an age that i don't know i don't want to say an older age it's just back then it was older i would think even now i think even right now i think it's kind of old but more people are doing it now i don't know all i know is whenever i'd go to the daycare they would always say samara nani your grandmom's here <laughs> so so um my mom went to the church and had the elders and the church mothers and everyone basically put hands on her and pray for her really really hard because the whole ordeal of thinking that oh my god now i I worked so hard to have a baby and take care of myself and now I'm losing this baby so just having praying hands to give support strength all that stuff 
come to find out God had a different plan and basically my mom went to the DNC thingy for the appointment and the nurse was doing another ultrasound blood pressure whatever and um my mom was crying if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm, and the nurse mm-hmm. was basically like what are you crying for and she's like i'm in here because i have to get a dnc and my baby didn't make it blah 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 and the nurse was like well what are you talking about what what and my mom was like well i came the other week and they said there was no heartbeat and i had to get a dnc because i couldn't walk around and lady's like well i'm looking at a heartbeat right here and basically yeah, i was, like, was alive light flashing that's what that is so i was alive um and i'm one of god's favorites also and clearly i'm here 31 years later and that, and that oh that wasn't remember at the delivery say, yeah, the delivery say, was the more delivery was also with me was very dangerous my mom your water broke when you were like sleep or something like that it, it, i thought it was my water i had what they call an abruption of the placenta what happened was the placenta pulled away and yeah. i thought i don't know i never had a baby before so i thought my water broke i didn't realize that your water supposed to be clear and uh the doctor i called the doctor and said the water broke and he said okay how you feel and i said i feel good he said well uh what's the water look like is it clear is it pink i said no it's kind of bloody and he was like okay that sounds fine i'm not gonna alarm you but come on down he said come on down and i was like well i'm good i got my popsicles um and they were i was gonna squat you out I was going to be the first person in something like yeah, our family 30 has, years. Yeah, no one in our family's had a natural birth in X amount of years. Everyone's had to have C-sections. So, fingers crossed, if I ever had a kid, I want to have a natural birth if I have kids. <laughs> so, um, I forgot where we were. Um, you were going to have the baby. You oh, were yeah, basically yeah, like, yeah. Um, you had your popsicles and stuff like that. Yes, yes. I'll, I'll stay home to the, I don't even have labor pains right now. He said, okay, that's fine, but let's just check you out and then I'll let you go back home. So we get ourselves together and I just had my baby shower that night. And I remember there were like some pink booties in one box and a bonnet in another box. So after all this is going on, I'm literally looking through these boxes trying to put together an outfit <laughs> to bring my baby home, not realizing that I'm actually hemorrhaging. Uh, while that's going on, I just start shivering real bad and my husband just picked me up and said, we got to get out of here and whisked me to the hospital. And unfortunately, when we got to the hospital um, and pulled up to the emergency room, there were people out there like it was a big accident or mm-hmm. something. There was somebody with a gurney. There was nurses out there. So I told my husband, I told Curtis, just go around them and let's just go and park in the parking lot and come Not down. Thinking. Weren't they there for you? Yes. When I came walking out the, <laughs> the parking lot. The, all the people were there for yes, my mom. They, I saw the attendant look at my legs and my legs were just covered with blood. And he was like, Miss George. I was like, yeah. He said, where have you been? We've been waiting for you. And they whisked me up and threw me on a gurney and took me upstairs. And the doctor had about two words for me. He said, I live like 30 miles from here. And I've been here like 10 <laughs> minutes. He said, you live right across the bridge. Where have you been? And I was like, he said, we don't have time now. And just whoop, put a mask on my face and took me out. And when I woke up, he explained that um, I had a very serious complication. I was hemorrhaging. And there's a 50% when you have an abruption of the placenta, there's a 50% chance the mother can die. And the baby can die. The mother is bleeding and to death. And we're both here today. Yes, the mother is bleeding to death, and the baby is, is drowning. drowning in the blood. So, um, nothing like she but said, the blood of Jesus. There you, go. there you go. We're here. Okay, so let's. Uh, and then she had my sister. She was perfectly fine. No, no cool story with her. But my let's sister go back to the um, the chemo after the. Yeah, that's. Oh, all I was, I was okay. gonna. Yeah, I was okay. gonna go back to. Um, that's all I was about to say. Let's fast forward. You don't have notes or anything, so I'm really impressed well, that you're remembering all this stuff. Sometimes I have notes. Um, sometimes it's just more of a casual conversation. Okay. Um. So yeah, let's fast forward 30 years. Um. To back to the cancer okay. and everything like that. Oh, I came out the throat surgery, and um, they told me okay. Oh, the first miracle was when I came out the third the f- throat surgery or the spine surgery. Spine 
surgery <laughs> where they cut my throat. The doctor told me, he said, I have some news. He said, I have, a, I have to really apologize. He said, for that diagnosis I gave you last week um, with the brain cancer. And I didn't understand. I said, what do you mean? He said, everything pointed to cancer in your brain. He said that I'm going to show you this x-ray, this ball here. That's a tumor and all these little things, specks around it that shows that it's metastasizing and it's moving. He said, but when the pathology report came back from the sample I sent, they said there's no, no cancer in your brain at all, which was wonderful because it took my uh, stage of cancer from a stage four, which was not curable, to a stage three, and now they said, okay, now we're going to try to cure you. Initially, they told me, they said, all we could do is extend, try to extend your days. But the fact that there was no cancer in my brain, so what does that mean? That means I had cancer, but by the time the report came back, I serve a God that works in the midnight hour. He said, I don't need to take care of this right now, but I'm going to take care of it in the nick of time. And uh, when the pathology report came back to the doctors, they were amazed. They were amazed already with the fact that I came through this brain surgery mm -hmm. with no problems and this spine surgery. So they were like, we don't know what's going on, but uh, we're taking you down to a stage three and we're setting up an appointment to have a port implanted oh yeah you did so that you're um, on chemo yeah so that i can get the chemo without being stuck every single time so i went through extensive chemo like eight hours with a iv drip and they told me that i would lose my hair that i would be nausea vomiting fatigued and that i would lose weight and nothing happened i literally went home from chemo and went to the salon and cut my say, husband's you cut hair. Your hair willingly i was about to say it wasn't even like you were like it wasn't like chunks were coming out how like you no. how i envision some people when they go through chemo like they talk about like they're just in the shower and it's like clunks no, and clunks like no, the, it wasn't really any crazy no. hair loss and you more so willingly cut your yeah. hair well i never did the the only haircut i got was after oh the, the brain, brain surgery mm -hmm. they cut my they gave me some crazy bozo <laughs> cut for brain surgery they only cut away yeah, the so they, hair so they where cut they, like the the crown part right. if you're watching on youtube right now they basically went cut the crown all they shaved that part off to get to the skull right and they left the other hair so yes. like it reminded me of like the old men who have like the bald middle and like the hair yeah, on the side the like bozo. a clown yeah the bozo mm -hmm. so it was like that and basically my mom was like well i'm not walking around like this i'm yeah. going to take matters into my own hands yeah. and make this look a little bit more presentable and not scary mm -hmm. mind you she has nieces i mean she has grandkids that are under four so if they would have <laughs> saw her hair like that it either would have been a whole bunch of questions yes. or a whole bunch of tears so yeah so i called chris he's one of the styles who works at my daughter's salon and i said I, I need a haircut right away i can't walk around like this and he said didn't you just have brain surgery three days ago and i said yeah but i need a haircut he said i'm not putting clippers on your head you got staples and all kind. i said chris you got to cut this off i just will look so much better and i'll feel better so i figured i'd rather have all my hair off mm -hmm. than the bozo look yeah so okay so we're gonna keep fast forwarding a little bit more um so after you were done with surgery recovery everything's good basically because my mother had such a testimonial time at the hospital and basically she had doctors praying over her she was in good communication with everyone and was my mom was honestly like a light in the hospital that the hospital needs when it's a place where it's sadness and people are going in there not yes. knowing if they're coming out so my mom's time was not just there for herself but she was 
putting that energy into other people that she came into contact whether it was yeah. chemo or the doctor so yeah. the chemo the room is a very yeah. sad room you can look at people and see where they've already given up hope mm -hmm. and uh, remember I told you I was actually laying all day next to Chef Casey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of our really good chefs we realized who was going to our parties, but I didn't even recognize who he was because he had lost a mm -hmm. lot of weight. Um, but I recognized his voice. So, of course, I prayed for him and I prayed for others. And um, I told them that when the whole chemo thing's done and I'm done with my next surgery, which was the lung surgery, um, that I did want to come back and speak to them. So they knew I was very interested in, in, in staying with them and trying to give some hope and inspiration to those people who had listened to the first report mm -hmm. and didn't realize that there's another report. So the cool thing about that, because my mom is just such an outgoing person, the hospital, uh, UPMC, right? UPMC? Yes. They actually reached out to my mom and um, they wanted to do like a patient testimonial type video commercial. And unfortunately, I didn't get to be in it because I was in Paris um, when they were shooting. But they did a whole campaign commercial around my mom. It was right. like from the pictures I saw, I'll try and attach them into the YouTube or post them on the socially Samara Instagram so you guys can see like the house it, it was a full-blown production yeah, full yeah we production. thought that I thought it was just gonna be like a cameraman and you know a sound person but literally when we pulled up first of all it was so such a turn on because they had us take pictures all around our house a couple days before the commercial was going to be shot and, and to send them so when we walked into this house first of all the house was fabulous mm -hmm. it's, it was for sale and they must have rented it to do it was the probably shoot. Like an Airbnb type thing yeah and uh, I think when they when Ani googled um the realtor to see what the house cost it was like two million dollars but it was so neat because when we walked in the house there were pictures of my grandkids on the wall uh, me and my husband's uh, wedding picture was framed and my daughter's and it was it was like pictures like it really was my house mm -hmm. right it made me feel really comfortable and and one of the reasons since Mara skipped over just this last thing of why they did this the last surgery was the lung surgery all those other surgeries were to um, take care of my brain and mm -hmm. my spine, and then the chemo was to shrink it. So they uh, did a biopsy to see whether the chemo was effective or not, and they went in and did the biopsy, and the doctor called me and said, uh, everything looks good, but I think I saw something else. He said, so I want you to take one more test. And I'm thinking, oh, what more could it be? And um, they had me going to take some tests, and when I came back, he told me, he said, we've met with the tumor board. We're going to move forward with the surgery in two days. He said, but I wanted to let you know, you have a very strange anatomy. He said, I thought I saw something, so I sent you out for the extra, extra, extra x-ray, and you have what we call not uncommon, where you're supposed to have two lobes in your left lung, an upper lobe and a lower lobe or upper chamber and a, a lower chamber and I had a mass on the lowest one he said when they went in and did the 3d x-ray he said it showed that I had a not uncommon that I had three lobes in my lung where the average person or most people or everybody has two lobes and he said he didn't understand that but I told him I said I understand and I said 65 years ago before I was placed in my mother's womb God knew I was going to need an extra lobe for an occasion such as this. And he, because you have to be born with them, you don't grow them. And so we didn't even know that I had that extra lobe. So even after they did the lobectomy and took away the lobe, now I'm still like normal people and I still have two lobes. Yeah. So I got through that was, they told me the same thing with uh, lung, the lung surgery. I'd be in for about a week, uh, a week or so that they would probably have to put me on oxygen, help me get my breathing regulated, um, work with a physical therapist. And believe it or not, by that evening of the first surgery, they came in and checked me and they said, we don't even understand how you're breathing like that. We need to send you for some more x-rays. Something is very off here. Send me for some x-rays. I come back from the x-rays. 
They call the doctor in, call the physical therapist in, they meet, they run a couple tests, and they look at me and say, you can go home. We don't, there's no reason to keep you here. You're breathing, the physical therapist said, you're breathing as strong as I'm breathing right now based on these tests, so um, you can leave. And I did the same thing. I left, went to the grocery store, did some grocery shopping, and came home and cooked dinner. Okay. And that's and that's when they reached out. After that, mm-hmm. um, I got a call from the marketing department at UPMC that said that I was reported to them by doctors and nurses. And they like, just, we want her to, to speak good yeah. on us. So they initially asked me just to do a testimonial. And then they called back the next day and said, no, we want a video to go to testimonial. But to do the video, you need to meet with our marketing people so we can know how we are going to spin this. And so I... Uh, went to the marketing, met with the marketing team and told them my story. And they told me they would call me back in a week and let me know how we were going to spin this video. And they end up calling back the very next day and said that they were, if my story was amazing and that they want to do a full commercial. And they wanted me to have me in the commercial, my husband, my daughters, and my grandchildren all in it. So probably about a month ago, we shot the commercial. Uh, they told me they would call me in after six weeks to look at it, but we shot it about a month ago. And uh, it was a lot. It was nine and a half hours of shooting to get like a 60-second commercial. So we're looking forward to seeing the commercial come soon. And um, that's pretty much it. And now I don't know if you – I backed it up. I was taking so many notes through this entire um, journey. People were telling me, oh, you need to keep a journal. You need to take notes. So I wrote a bunch of notes together. And then people started saying, Sam, this story is so unbelievable. You need to think about writing a book. You need to think about writing a book. And I'm not, I don't even read books. I'm just not that person. I'm just busy with a lot of other things. So I didn't know how to start it. And I asked my daughter, Samara, and she suggested that I call a friend of mine, Penay, who has written written a book before. Yeah, but when I called her, she said, oh, I don't really write books. She said, call a ghostwriter. They'll write your book for you. So she gave me a ghostwriter. I called her. She didn't call me back. I called her a second time. She said she'd get with me in a week. She never got with me. So I just started writing on my own, and I didn't really know how to write. But I Googled a few things, and I started writing. It pretty much said that the book is pretty much like a book report. There's an introduction, a body, and a conclusion. And every chapter is pretty much mm-hmm. a book report. So I started writing. The first chapter took me three weeks to write. And then I was ready to give up. And then I saw a scripture that said, any good thing works that you want to do, you should commit them to God and he will establish <coughs> He will establish your plans. I think it's Proverbs 33. Um, and so every morning I would get up and say, God, I want you to help me write this book. I want it to be decent and in order. And I want to honor you. And from that point on, I went from taking a chapter from three weeks to writing a chapter about a day and a half. And so when where my... A deadline was November to have this book in. I actually completed it. How many months is before November now? Mm-hmm. Are we close to six months away from November? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I think I, we thought it was going to take about six, seven months to write the book, but I ended up writing it probably in about six weeks. So that's where we are now. We're very excited for my mom to, well, literally just a couple of minutes ago before we started the podcast, she submitted her like questionnaire to the uh, publishing company, just like, some some basic information about what book size, what type of paper, what the bio, just information to get the book started. She just submitted that, so that's really really cool. And took her picture. Yeah, you and we took her picture. She's letting me be kind of the social media person behind her book. Social media manager. Social media manager. Um. So yeah, we've worked on that today. We took some pictures for the cover of her book, and I think it's going to be really really um an interesting read. I the haven't name read of the anything. Book is few are chosen. And uh, you would be able to probably be another uh, two and a half months before it's out, but you'll be able to find it on Amazon. 
or Barnes and Nobles, or mm. if we have a website, counseling for everyone, the number four, the word every, and the number one. Uh, it's counseling for everyone, uh, basically who are dealing with struggles from life, mm-hmm. life's challenges. Hmm, I'm trying to see what we could talk about. Um, I mean, it's just, yeah, the book thing. Um, anything else? Mm-mm. My plan, I, I'm just feeling really good about it. Um, I I see myself doing some book signings and yeah we were talking about that a little free travel in there we had purchased uh when i thought i had pneumonia me and my husband love to travel so when i thought i had pneumonia uh we decided we were going to stop using the airplanes and public transportation and hotel rooms and we went and got an rv and we've only had it out it's been a year and then right after the rv i got the diagnosis and i don't want to say sick when people would tell me i heard you were sick i would tell them no i'm stop that rumor i'm not sick i just have a diagnosis we, we did um we had a we meaning my sister my dad and i we had to tell a lot of her friends like stop talking to my mom because they weren't giving encouraging words it was more so words of what other people went through with their cancers and we had to explain to people my mother's cancer is not like your cousin's cancer is not like your sister's cancer is not like your dad's cancer god god immediately had a hand on my mom from the moment that the cancer was in her body before she knew it before the doctors and was already moving through my mom in a way that would help others and not just solely selfishly herself exactly. that we had to get other people to understand that god has already healed my mom we're not even right. saying that she's sick she wasn't yes. moving like she was sick she wasn't bedridden like some people get when they're mm-hmm. when they have cancer so we were like why would we even speak those words or allow other people to speak negativity to my mom when she's already so far and beyond what other people or what what doctors said she should have been at for having two types of stage four cancer my mom was moving and grooving as if it was a regular Nothing. tuesday yeah yeah i just let you know how good god is and i tell people that a lot of times people will come to you with like you said my grandma had cancer and i had one one girl uh, a relative was telling me you know get ready for chemo it's gonna be really really bad i lost all my hair i was in bed for like, like six well, weeks tell me that that sucks for you but yeah. that's not my yeah. journey and not only that um when i asked her i said when did you have chemo she said she had chemo like 21 years ago <laughs> so technology is moving mm-hmm. so quickly that even someone who had cancer last year you can't compare your cancer one to your, them one of your surgeries were done robotically right yeah yeah the lung surgery was robotic was robotic yes. so yeah even that's and that's different. very new mm-hmm. yeah and um i was on not only on a chemotherapy drug but on what they call an immunotherapy drug which helps your immune system so you don't lose mm-hmm. weight so you don't throw and so immunotherapy is only a couple years old so anybody who may have had cancer 10 years ago you can't talk to them right you should probably shouldn't talk to anybody, who, like should talk to anybody who has any type of sickness because yeah. you don't know what their health histories are what their dietary like yeah. anything could if they're a smoker that could be the difference between them being healthy yeah. and not so it's like yeah. why people i get people are trying to be helpful but yeah. it's not helpful it's scaring people yeah. it puts people in a state of okay now i'm scared which might be putting signals to other parts of my body to yeah. shut down even quicker because yeah. i don't know how to handle it so yeah. it's like it, it's a lot when it comes yeah. to the whole cancer thing and i think everyone deals and handles it differently not just the person with the cancer but right. the people that are in that circle with the person yeah. so i think it all just depends on depends upon how you and your circle and or team yeah. decide to handle, handle the yeah. cancer. and i think i don't I, I i don't think people um purposely try to give me negative stuff they just did they're not sharing know. their own they, yeah. they're sharing like I, I would come home and there'd be books in my door um can't how to beat cancer 
with cooking and one day I came home a very good one of my best friends said I have a surprise I sent you and I was like wonder what she sent me and the Amazon package came it had like five cancer scarves in it um, so they just in case I guess she assumed that I was going to lose my hair mm-hmm. and so she was she, being proactive yeah she was being proactive I love her and she definitely but um, you just have to, to have to I had to actually pray for God to bridle some tongues. I mean, where people were literally saying, oh, I heard this, or mm-hmm. I heard you were sick. And I'd, I'd quickly would tell everybody, if you heard I was sick, please stop that rumor. I'm far from sick. Yeah. I had a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. That's pretty That's much different. it. That's pretty much it. Okay. Um, huh, what? Um, I think that was it. I think I got through everything. So if you want to follow my mom's journey, I'll be creating her a social media page in the next like week or two. Um, most likely it'll just probably be Samet. Fewer chose. I don't. I don't know. We got to figure out a social. No, media I think name. it's going to be the same as a website counseling for everyone because I don't want it to be just. I've had so many struggles, like you said. I've beyond cancer. I've had houses foreclosed. Yeah. I've had um, you know cars repoed. Um, like I said, we had a pregnancy scare uh, with losing a baby. We had a house fire where yeah. uh, the day my husband came home from the hospital and just requested fried chicken. Uh, fried chicken after my mom his surgery. Burned the house down, but I did burn the kitchen. Yeah, down. she burned the kitchen. And down. we had to move into a hotel for a couple months. <laughs> so, and then while we were in the hotel, and my book tells all this, while we were in the, in the hotel, probably three weeks, I get a call seven o'clock in the morning from someone saying, "Are you watching Facebook?" There's someone video, and there's looks like a bomb went off at your property. Oh yeah, my sister accident at her yeah. property yeah. yeah the past two years have honestly been a lot for our family as a whole but also i think it's made us a lot stronger a lot closer because we realized like honestly honestly we have a very good extended family as well as our immediate family but it brought our immediate family i think even closer even though we're already close like i see my mom and dad probably every day um but i think it brought us closer on a spiritual level and just on like more of an adult level i think um not saying we were missing that but ani and i we were always close together but i don't think we ever had like that adult relationship with our parents which was perfectly okay i i they weren't like well, you treating weren't us like adult. kids yeah <laughs> I'm, i've been an adult since 21 but yeah, we never okay. we never took the initiative to like oh do you guys want to just hang out and get a glass of wine and just talk about life and stuff like that it was more so like ripping and running oh, i'll stop by and see you before i get in the road type situation but now like i enjoy coming to my parents house and just having a glass of wine and just being with my parents before it's too late not to, not to be scary or anything but there are people i have friends that don't speak to their parents so i'm like mm-hmm. if i got a phone call tomorrow saying that one of my parents died it's like have I spent enough time with them? Did I tell them I loved them? What was the last thing I said? Did I did I tell them about the next activity I'm getting into? Like little things like that, I now I think I cherish more because I'm more of an adult, yeah. and I realize those types of things are very valuable in life. And I learn a lot from my parents. A and lot. It goes both ways. I feel the same way. I mean, I I have so many friends or clients that tell me that they haven't seen their kids are grown like Samara, but they haven't seen their kids in like four years, mm-hmm. and they only live in New York. I'm like, how is it your kid only leaves four hours away and you haven't seen him in four years? But um, I don't even know what it's like to go even four hours. <laughs> I, 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 so my daughters, my daughters start early in the morning. I probably from Agnes, I probably get at least six calls a day. She calls me every day and on work day. She calls me at least by seven thirty in the yes, morning. Yes, and it's either something about the school and work, or sometimes we'll just not even kids. talk and we just want to be in each other's FaceTime while yeah, we're getting ready. Yeah, yeah. So, but um, I, I enjoy the relationship that. Uh, has came from the the diagnosis my daughters both have treated me like a queen since then and um have really let me see that they really are adults 
you know, that they're not kids that they understand and they were you ready to step good. in and help and do everything they had to. And I tried to milk it for a while, but it got <laughs> hard. I figured I should really be milking this right now. You know, they were bringing me food. I mean, they were, I, I could cook. I came home from surgery cooking, but they felt like they wanted to send food or share meals. And I was like, OK, <laughs> but uh, I probably could have milked it a little more. But probably. Um, I was just so happy to see how well they were handling. And I told them I remember uh, from the very beginning when I called them up and we were going to talk about it. And Samara was the first one who just just kind of little teary die and I remember telling her we're not gonna do that you know no tears just I'm the emotional one Ani and I I think I'm more emotional yeah that's Probably. why but I was like that's our slogan it's gonna be no tears just prayers and we're gonna stand on that and if anybody asks you that's what we're gonna do uh-huh. so um, I, I was very happy that they handled the way they did and um didn't let people sway them from the left or right or and they believe they believe me when I told my daughters that God spoke to me there was no question like oh you're crazy um, we don't believe you they were like wow if my mom says God spoke to her God spoke yeah. to her um I think other than that I'm trying to think of what other updates mm, I think that's it well just that I did go back for my uh, follow-up treatment two weeks ago okay and um they this was the, the second follow-up, and he said, you're doing remarkable. He said, and I asked, I was like, does this mean I'm like in remission oh, or yeah, something? You told me you can, they can't technically say you're cancer-free unless it's been like five, five years. years. He said, but there's two types of remission. There's partial, where they um, got most of the cancer, and there might be something left where you might need a little chemo or maybe take a pill. But they said, no, they said from all the MRIs and scans and x-rays, they literally do not see any cancer in my body at all. So um, that's pretty much it. Does it surprise me? Mm, not really, because God told me from the very beginning, I knew how this was going to end. And I'm just so happy um, that the main thing that God wants me to do now is just to open my mouth and to share my story, and to ask people to share my story uh, so that people do realize that there is hope, that there is another report, that it does not matter what a doctor says. It doesn't matter if you, it could be something simple like maybe you're trying to get into the college of your choice and you get a, instead of getting a letter that says congratulations, you get one of those we re- regret yeah, to inform, regret to you. inform you. you. Or it could be, you know, a car. Maybe you were turned down for a car loan or maybe there's a nice apartment you're looking for and they said your credit's not right. I'm letting you know no report trumps God's report. And if we just really learn to trust and believe and step out on faith, and that's where a lot of people get confused with the trusting and believing, you really have to have faith. And the Bible says that you only have to have faith the size of a mustard seed. I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard seed, but it's just about three times the size of a grain of salt. So you don't have to have a lot, but you do have to believe. And uh, from the very beginning, my, I knew my I knew my faith was going to get me through. There's a, a woman uh, in the Bible I don't think they give a name who had an issue of blood. And she believes that she heard Jesus was coming through her town. And she believes if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I don't, he doesn't have to lay hands. Or if I can just touch his clothing, I know I'll be healed. And it was her faith that healed her. So I remembered that. And I was like, okay, that's me. That's going to be me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to believe no matter what anybody says. I'm not going to be swayed to the left or right. But I'm going to stand on God's promises. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, well, we are getting close to 50 minutes on here, so I try not to go above like an hour. Okay, I will say real quick that I did have to, in the very beginning, the first two oncologists I went to pretty much told me that it was incurable. Oh, yeah, you went to Um, some doctors. Yeah, the one doctor told me there's no God. Um, The second one I went to, she asked me, actually asked me, so she said, "Um, so do you want want numbers? 
And I thought she meant like how much this whole thing was going to cost with all the chemo and the surgery. And I said, number, she said, how much time do you want to date? And Ew. I looked at her and I thought, you can't give me no date. I'm going to die. What do you mean you're going to say like February 14th or something like that? I was like, no. I said, no, I don't want numbers because you you can't tell yeah, me Yeah, you're that. not about to tell me when I'm about and, to die. Yeah, so I got rid of them real quick and I got a, a, all my oncologists and doctors were uh, on board with me. I was a little skeptical about the lung doctor and I never, for some reason, I never got a chance to ask him if he believed in God where the other ones were like, of course, I don't do anything without the big man upstairs another one guy was like yeah of course i do and he was the brain surgeon i told you i was really impressed he was uh black i didn't think mm -hmm. our little town even had any black brain surgeons but he believed in god and then the lung surgeon i never got to ask him but i just felt there was a reason i didn't and when i went for my two-week uh checkup or my follow-up i asked him i said i never got a chance to ask you i said but do you believe in god and he said, well, and as soon as he said, well, I was like, oh, here we go. But he said, no, he said, honestly, he said, when you are a doctor, you've had so much science poured into you yeah. that it's really hard to see anything else. They make it so clear that that is it's the science. only way. He said, but with your case, he said, I had to turn it over. I had to turn it over. Sometimes all it takes is one person to make someone yes, like believe or exactly. or to put their eyes toward God and be like, let me let me check out what yeah. Christianity is or what yeah. what can happen if I do believe and put my put my faith yeah. in His sins and things like that. Yeah, but he was very happy when I saw him. He said, "You make us look so good here." He <laughs> said, "You really." He said, "We're all so excited about the story. They're getting some wording in the commercial." So um. Watch for the commercial. If you're anywhere in Pennsylvania, you'll see it. Yes, I'll be um, sure. Whenever I get my mom's Instagram page up, um, I'll make sure I tag it on the Socially Samara podcast Instagram page. And I'll keep updates whenever we get closer to the book drop. And we're working on like a book signing, maybe at Isabel's, which is a nice. I think it'd be nice at Isabel's. Isabel's isn't too big. Mm -hmm. Isabel's is nice. Yeah. There's food, so you can have it catered or something, little mm -hmm. hors d'oeuvres. But yeah, we're, we're, everything's in the works right now. It is a process, but it is in motion. But I would just like to say thank you so much to my mom for coming on Socially Samara and sharing her story. Um, hopefully I'll have her on again to maybe give us some another follow-up about the book itself and whatnot. Yes, and if you know anybody who would like to have me come to their church and speak yes. or do a signing personally at their church, then reach out to Samara. Yes, I will be handing all of her socials and marketing type things. So yes, we'll definitely make sure we um, put you out on the page. And if anyone does reach out, I'll make sure I connect them with you. Okay, just want to end with God is still on the throne. Don't let anybody tell you different. Amen. And on that note, thanks for tuning in to Socially Samara. Bye.